0: Let's open God's word this evening to Mark 15. Mark chapter 15, and we will read verses 16 through 41. 16 through 41 of Mark 15, and the text for this evening's sermon will be verse 30. Mark 15, beginning at verse 16. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified Him, they parted His garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified Him. And the superscription of His accusation was written over the King of the Jews. And with Him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the Scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with Him, reviled Him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? which is being interpreted, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone let us see whether Elias will come, down, come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the less and of Joses and Salome who also when he was in Galilee followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. As far as we read God's Word, the text for this evening's sermon is verse 30. The words of the the bypassers, save thyself and come down from the cross. Betrayed. Arrested tried, condemned, mocked, beaten, and crucified. That is just the shortest possible summary of what Jesus Christ had endured over the last 12 hours. For by this point, in the Gospel narrative, Jesus Christ has been nailed to the cross of Calvary. Above Him are the words of the superscription, Jesus, the King of the Jews. Beside Him, on either side, are the two thieves, the two malefactors that were crucified, one on His left hand and the other on His right. And below Him were the soldiers who had nailed Him to the cross, who had parted His garments and cast lots for His seamless coat, and who had now sat down to watch Him as He hung there on the cross. That's the context. But what is noteworthy for the purposes of tonight's sermon is that the soldiers were not the only ones below Jesus. There were others. And among those at the foot of the cross were those who were merely passing by who took notice of these three individuals hanging on the cross. And when they saw that one of them was Jesus of Nazareth, They could not resist mocking this man. Even as we read in verses 29 and 30, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. And it's especially that last part of what they had to say. That is our focus for tonight's sermon because there's more there in those few words than what originally meets the eye. Certainly, this was a part of the suffering that Jesus endured. But behind those words is something deeper. Behind those words is none other than the devil himself and one last temptation. Temptation to try to overthrow the whole plan of salvation. And it's when we understand and truly appreciate that temptation that we will truly appreciate all the more the wonder that Christ did not come down. He refused to do so, but instead willingly remained hanging there on the cross of Calvary. It's with that in mind that we want to consider Mark 15, verse 30, using as our theme, Jesus' refusal to come down. Jesus' refusal to come down. First, we will look at the temptation. Second, we will look at the response. And then third, the salvation. Jesus' refusal to come down, the temptation, the response, and the salvation. What's interesting is that verses 29 and the 30, verses 29 and 30 are the first recorded words directed to Jesus as he hung there on the cross. In one of the parallel accounts, we it's evident that Jesus himself has already spoken words from the cross. But here we have the first words spoken to him. And these words are spoken by those who were simply passing by. That's the language that we read at the beginning of verse 29. And they that passed by railed on Him. Then that language teaches us that Jesus was crucified along a very busy road. This was a common practice of the Romans when they subjected someone to this punishment. They often crucified criminals alongside of a road to advertise What would happen to anyone and everyone who was found guilty of breaking the law? And this then was a deterrent to others communicating the message that you ought not break the law or this is what will happen to you. So it was with Jesus our Savior. He was crucified alongside of a road. His crucifixion was a public spectacle so that there were many who were simply walking along the road who stopped to read the superscriptions that were above these three criminals, find out why these men had been there. And when some read that, saw that Jesus of Nazareth was one of them, we read that they railed on Him and now, We'll circle back in a moment to what exactly they did and said, but it's worth noting that they were only the first ones to do this. Because immediately after, we read of the bypassers bypassers having words for Jesus Christ. We also read of the chief priests and scribes joining in. That's verse 31. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. So the religious leaders added their voices of mockery to those who were simply passing by. But Then so also did the two thieves on either side of Jesus. That's the end of verse 32. And they that were crucified with Him reviled Him. So that we have three different groups of people. All speaking words of reproach directly to Jesus Christ. And there's a consistent theme running through all three of them. But again, our focus is just on the words of that first group, the the bypassers. And Scripture tells us in verse 29 that they that passed by railed on Him. They spoke words of reproach. They reviled Him. Their speech was meant to denigrate and to demean. More specifically, this was blasphemy. That's the original, the word that's used in the original language. They were speaking evil against none other than the Son of God Himself. And as they spoke, they were wagging their heads, says verse 29. That is... They were shaking their heads from side to side as an expression of contempt, scorn, and derision. They were shaking their heads in such a way to indicate their complete disapproval of this man. And that comes out especially in what they said. Verse 29 says, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. And that word, ah, we would say, Ha was the type of expression used to communicate glee, scorn, and a sense of triumph. All together, all three of those things were min- mingled together in this exclamation. This was the type of this is the type of thing that you say when an otherwise proud and boastful enemy has been defeated. You say, "Ha." Ah, you! And that's what was being said here. They said that because of what they, what they remembered Him saying at one point. These bypassers say, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. They remembered, although not entirely accurately, what Jesus Himself had said the first time that He cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. What Jesus had actually said was destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But they understood Him to be saying that Jesus Himself would destroy entirely that physical temple, the building in Jerusalem, and then three days later, He would have it all put back together. And they took this as a proud, boastful claim of a man just pretending to be the Messiah. And now seeing Him on the cross, they remind Him of this. And they say to Him in verse 30, save thyself and come down from the cross. If you have such power that you can destroy that temple and re-raise it in three days, why don't you save yourself? Show us your power. Save yourself by coming down from this cross. Those were the words of reproach that they spoke to our Savior. And in this we see their unbelief. For these Jews were clearly familiar with Jesus Christ. Many of them had no doubt heard Him. And perhaps some of them had even seen His miracles that He had performed. But they had not believed They had rejected him as the Messiah. They had rejected him as the Son of God. And for them, then, to see this Jesus of Nazareth crucified on this cross, then, was confirmation, in their thinking, of their unbelief. Because their view of a Messiah was a Messiah who had come with these grand and glorious displays of power and of might. Now this Jesus of Nazareth was hanging on a cross. He, complete, he appeared completely helpless. And thus they felt validated. He talked big, but now look at Him. Look how weak He is. And they supposed that for Him to be hanging there on the cross was evidence that He was just a phony Messiah. And their conclusion then was that it was because of His weakness, because of it was on account of inability that there was no way that He could come down from that cross. So they reviled Him, wagging their heads, saying what they did. But now our interest this evening is not so much on what was said, how it was said, why it was said. But our interest is more on the impact, the effect of all of this on our Savior. And there's really two things that we need to see in this regard, the significance of this for our Savior. On the one hand, in this we see a small part of the suffering of our Savior As John Calvin put it in his commentary, we see in this, quote, the extreme abasement, end quote, of the Son of God. What contradiction of sinners He endured. What reproach. Because it was not just the religious leaders who hated Him all along who were speaking evil against Him, but it's random people walking by. He was a... A public spectacle. He had been made the the laughingstock of complete strangers who could not but add their voices to those who were mocking Jesus Christ as He hung there on the cross. We must understand this was a part of His suffering. This was a part of His humiliation even as it was prophesied already in the Old Testament. For example, in... Psalm 22, verse 7, David wrote prophetically, All they that see Me, laugh Me to scorn, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. And that's exactly what's taking place here in direct fulfillment of that prophecy. This was suffering for our Savior. And does that not underscore then the wonder of our salvation? and His love in being willing to go through with this, must consider what He was willing to endure on our behalf. What it cost Him to accomplish our salvation. This was suffering for Him, and yet He willingly went through it. That in the first place, and on the one hand, is the significance of this for our Savior. But on the other hand, and the main thing that we want to see is that not only was this suffering for Jesus Christ, there were, in these words, a temptation from the devil himself. The devil, more than anyone, wanted our Savior to come down. From the cross. For you may be sure that the devil throughout the ages and especially after Jesus had come had pieced together what Jesus Christ would come into this world to do. You see, the devil himself could read the Old Testament Scriptures. He knew all the Old Testament types, the Old Testament shadows. He he knew about the sacrifices and and the symbolism, the significance of them. And therefore, though he did not know all the details, though he did not have the the clearest picture, he nevertheless had an understanding that the promised Messiah, the Son of God, would come into this world as the sacrifice for our sins. That He would somehow die an accursed death in order to deliver us from the curse that we deserve. The devil understood that. And thus the devil, more than anyone, wanted to keep Jesus Christ from the cross. And that was really what he was doing in those earliest temptations when Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted of the devil three times. The theme running through all three of those temptations was the devil trying to keep Je- was the devil trying to convince Jesus to take the easy path? Avoid the path of suffering. Avoid the path that leads to the cross. Just demonstrate your power and set up some earthly kingdom. And that's exactly what the devil is doing here in this temptation. Just show everyone at the cross your power. Let them see some grand display and then they'll serve you. Then you can have a kingdom here on this earth. The devil did not want Jesus to go through with what He had set out to accomplish. For the devil understood that if Jesus saved Himself by coming down, He would thus fail to save His people. And that's what he's after. The devil wanted to maintain his grip upon fallen humanity. Fallen humanity that had been made subject to sin and to the devil. He was not willing to let even one soul go. And so he has this temptation for Jesus. Save thyself by coming down from the cross. Now by saying that this is what the devil wanted, in no way contradicts the fact that there were different times in Jesus' life where the devil wanted Jesus dead, and killed in some way. For example, when he was a baby, the devil was behind the schemings, the plottings of Herod in trying to kill Jesus. And then all throughout his ministry, when the earth, there were the religious leaders were coming up with different plots in order to take Jesus' life, the devil was behind that. But you see, even in those attempts, his goal was really still the same to keep Jesus from the cross. The devil wanted Him dead some other way as a a baby or killed in a, a back alley without anyone else there to see it. But what he did not want was Jesus to end up at the cross. But now He's failed in keeping Jesus from going to the cross. For Jesus is hanging there. And so he uses the bypassers as his last-ditch effort to overthrow the entire plan of salvation. Jesus, save thyself. Show them Your power and they will follow You. That was the temptation. And we must understand, this was a very real temptation for our Savior. It was a temptation for our Savior because of what He was already enduring. He was already enduring the physical pain of having nails driven through His hands. Of having His ripped up back pressed against the the rough wood of the cross. Of having that crown of thorns still pressed down upon His head. He was enduring tremendous physical suffering at that very moment. And then added on top of that was the suffering that we have noted in this sermon. The mockery, the reproach of all these people hurling their scorn upon our Savior even as He hung there. And it was in light of what Jesus was already enduring that the devil comes to him and says, save thyself. You can make it all quit. It could all be over. All of the pain. All of the reproach. You can make it end in a single moment. Why don't you just come down? That was the devil's temptation. But it was a real temptation, not only because of what Jesus was already enduring, But is it a temptation especially because what was yet to come? Because the worst was still coming. What was yet to come was that Jesus Christ would have to die not just physically, but spiritually. For Jesus Christ still had to drink the cup of God's wrath. And the devil knew that too because you may be sure that he was listening the night before when Jesus was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The devil would have been eavesdropping on that prayer from the Son to the Father if it be possible. Let this cup pass. So the devil not only knew that Jesus was about to drink the cup of God's wrath, but he had seen the Son of God Himself tremble at the thought of drinking that cup. And now the devil takes that very thing and he wields it as a, as a tool for tempting our Savior. Jesus, save Thyself. And come down. Save Yourself from being forsaken of God. Save yourself from having to drink every last drop of that cup. Save yourself from enduring the agonies and the torments of hell itself. The devil tries one last time to keep Jesus from what he came to do. So would He come down? The good news of the the Gospel is that Jesus Christ refused. His response to this temptation was to stay right where He was. And that response is evident from what follows in this history. Because as we noted in verses 29-32, through we have three different groups of people bringing their words of reproach and scorn upon Jesus Christ. And running through all of them is the temptation of the devil. Here's your last chance to avoid spiritual death. Why don't you save yourself and come down? But now what's noteworthy is what we read immediately after that in verse 33. What we do not read is Jesus responding. Jesus certainly spoke from the cross of Calvary. Scripture records seven different instances in which our Savior spoke to different individuals, but not one of the seven was addressed to those who mocked Him as he hung there upon the cross of Calvary, we do not read in verse 33 Jesus speaking back to them, saying, I'll show you, and using one word to make them, knock them all flat. That's not what comes next. But what comes next is what we have in verses 33 and 34, and when the sixth hour was come. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? That's what comes next. And thus it's clear, Jesus did not take the bait. He did not give in to the temptation, but He... Remain steadfast. He went through what was to come next, namely, the wrath of God against our sins. For at noon, God himself turned out the lights, as it were, and he entered into judgment with his own son. At noon, God began to pour out in earnest that cup of wrath. And Jesus was required to drink it. But now, what this history shows us then is His willingness to do that. To go through with all this. It was an act of Jesus' will for Him to refuse to come down. Which is to say it was not on account of some weakness or on account of inability. It was not that He lacked the power to come down. That explains why He never came down. And we can say that confidently in light of everything that's come before this. And all the history recorded in the Gospel narratives. Consider the, the miracles that Jesus Christ performed. Miracles such as casting out devils and causing great storms to cease in a moment. He clearly had the power to come down if He wanted to. And that's even clearer when we remember this is not the first time that His enemies have tried to take His life. Remember what happened in Nazareth. His hometown when He went back to preach. Remember that the response of the people was to take Jesus by force, bring Him to the edge of a cliff with a view of throwing Him over that cliff to His death below. And what did Jesus do? He walked right through the midst of them. He clearly had the power to save Himself. And He demonstrated that again. The night prior to this, when that mob of men came to arrest Him, they came with their weapons and with one word, Jesus knocked the entire company flat. They were powerless against Him. So it was not on account of weakness. It was not on account of inability that Jesus remained hanging there on the cross. But instead, the explanation was that He was unwilling to come down, which is to say, He willed consciously, actively, to stay put. It was an act of His will to remain hanging there on. The cross. He remained committed to going through with it all in spite of the temptation. And He was willing exactly because this is what He came to do in the first place. For you see, Jesus Christ had come down in a certain sense. Not from the cross of Calvary, but He had come down From heaven. He's the Son of God who who left the, the glories and the blessedness of heaven behind to come down into this world. Why? To save his people. That's the testimony of 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose in coming. And Jesus understood that saving himself by coming down and saving his people were mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. That was the only conclusion that could be drawn from the night before when he had prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass. He was saying, in fact, is there some other way to accomplish salvation. And the clear answer from heaven was that there's no other way. And it was knowing that there's no other way that Jesus willingly, voluntarily remained hanging there on the cross of Calvary. And now again, does this not underscore His love? For us, His people. For you see, that's the deepest, ultimate explanation for what's going on here. Because if we ask the question, what is it that made him willing to come down into this world in the first place? What was it that made him willing to remain hanging there on the cross in spite of what was coming very soon? The answer is his love for us, his steadfast determination to do his people good. He refused to come down. For that reason, so that it was not weakness, it was not inability, but it was strength. The strength of His love that kept Him on the cross. He would lay down His life for those who are are His friends, and there is no greater act of love than that. But really, it's even more wondrous than that. Because He did not lay down His life for those who were by nature His friends. Romans 5 is very clear that Jesus Christ showed His love toward us and that He died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus Christ reconciled us unto the Father by dying for us while we were his enemies. And that makes his love all the more astounding because it would make some sense if he's laying down his life for those who were already his friends, those who already loved him, but that's not the case. But instead he's dying for those who hate him by nature. He's dying for those who were his enemies in order to make them to be his friends. That's love. And it's still more amazing. When we think about the fact that He refused to come down knowing full, good, and well that we would be such thankless and sinful friends. It's maybe the most remarkable thing about this all. It's remarkable that He does not come down from the cross in spite of the physical pain He's enduring. It's remarkable that He does not come down from the cross in spite of all the, the mockery, the reproach, and that form of suffering. And it's even more remarkable that He does not come down from the cross knowing that He's about to drink the cup of God's wrath for our sins. But what is perhaps even more remarkable than that is that He knew, going into it, how we would repay Him for His kindness on our behalf. That though He so loved us, He was willing to die for us. There would be such a lack of love in our hearts for Him. though He was willing to be the sacrifice for our sins, we would be so slow and reluctant to present ourselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to Him. He knew going into it that you and I would continue in our sinfulness That we would go on in this sin and in that sin in spite of all that He's done for us. And yet, He did not come down. He stayed there. That's love, congregation. And it was in his love that he stayed because he knew this was the only option to save us. He knew just how sinful we are and would remain. Unless he knew there could never be any salvation if we were left, if it was up to us to save ourselves. He understood there could be no salvation if he does part of it, even the bulk of it, but then we still have this little bit that we have to take care of on our end. He understood that. And thus he went to the cross willingly. And he remained on the cross willingly until he had accomplished our salvation. And that is, that is indeed the blessed fruit of this work of Jesus Christ, our salvation. By not saving himself, He saved us. By staying on the cross and going through with what going through with the suffering, he thereby accomplished our salvation, a salvation that includes deliverance from the punishment that we deserve for our sin. For you see, we were the ones who belonged on that cross. We were the ones who deserved to drink that cup of God's wrath because we were the ones and are the ones who sin, who break God's commandments. But Jesus Christ took the punishment for us. He paid the debt that we owe for our sins so that for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. There's no cup of wrath waiting for us. Not even one drop of that cup of God's wrath. There's deliverance from the punishment. That's what Christ accomplished. And what is still more, by this saving work, He fulfilled all righteousness for us. By His own perfect obedience, that too is a part of this. For Jesus Christ came into this world to do the will of His Father, which will certainly included keeping the law of our God, but the will of the Father for the Son was included more than that. There was all that was set aside for Jesus Christ to do as our mediator. And He did it all perfectly. He left nothing undone of all that the Father gave Him to do. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in this way, He fulfilled all righteousness for us. He kept the law on our behalf so that His obedience could be imputed, transferred over to our account so that we could be declared righteous before our God. So that we might have the right to eternal life. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished by refusing to come down and going through with it with the suffering that was His to bear on account of our sin. So now the only question is, do you believe in Him? Do you believe in Him for salvation? And that is a necessary question because not everyone does. That was true of those who passed by that day on the road outside of Jerusalem near where Christ was crucified. They did not believe. Certainly, they wanted a Messiah, but not this kind of a Messiah. Not a Messiah who suffered, who bled, who died. Not a Messiah who seemed so weak and powerless They wanted a Messiah who would come with grand displays of power and glory. And whose glory was on display at all times, never hid for a moment. Because they did not find that in Jesus, they refused to believe. And so it goes for much of the world today. They reject this Jesus. They reject Christ crucified. They do not want a Savior that atones for sin by giving His life and His blood on our behalf. But over against that unbelief, there is the call of the Gospel. Believe in Christ crucified. Believe that it was not weakness that kept Him there. But it was the strength of His love. Believe that by not saving Himself, He thereby saved us. Trust in Him. Embrace Him as your own. Look to Him for a full deliverance from sin. And for a perfect righteousness that measures up to the standard of God's law. And believing, let us rejoice. Let us give thanks for our Savior who so loved us that He refused to come down. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for this time that we could spend together to hear the proclamation of Christ crucified. To hear of the willingness of our Savior not only to go to the cross, but remain there on the cross in spite of the temptation to come down. Father, strengthen our faith and fill our hearts with gratitude in light of the wondrous work of our Savior on our behalf. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.